0: My mentor says all the time, he just says, caseload is confidence. At the beginning, you don't believe him because you're like, but I don't know what I'm doing. And then you finally hit a point that you're like, you're right. I've seen enough cases that now I am confident in this. And he's just like, see, caseload is confidence.
1: Welcome back to That Fet Life. If you are a part of the OG Podcast fam, you may just recognize this week's guest, Dr. Danny Paul. Because Danny and I graduated from vet school together, we have been able to celebrate and commiserate with each other as we've gone through the highs and lows of being new grads. In this episode, we cover just what's happened in the last two years of practice since graduating and the big milestones we've reached. More importantly, we cover the topic of plateauing and being left with a question of, we're no longer new grads, so now what? We have a ton of ground to cover in this episode, so let's jump right in. So, I feel like a lot of people on here probably don't know who you are. Of course, I know who you are because <laughs> we graduated. It's been almost two years, two years since we left Edinburgh. No. I, it, it doesn't feel like two years. But for the people who don't know who you are, you
0: are. So, I'm Danny. I go by Dr. Danny in my clinic because I, I actually work with my cousin. So Dr. Danny, but I graduated with Mo from Edinburgh. We lived together for a little while. Um, so yeah, it's been, what, two years. That's crazy. I can't believe it's been almost yeah. two years since we oh, graduated. Gosh. And you're basically in small
1: animal general practice right now. And the other backstory is like, yeah, we were roommates in vet school, which meant that I somewhat volunteered Danny to be on a podcast. And we we co-hosted it. Yeah, like a mini-series that we called Scrubbed In. I thought it was pretty smart to call it Scrubbed In, like, hey, vet school. And that was when we went through our final year of vet school. Um, Those episodes are not currently available, I believe. But... Yeah. So that like took us through the journey of our final year of vet school. It's kind of cool to look back on some of those episodes and think about the things that we were worried about. And when we got to the point of graduation, you and I had different feelings about graduating. What was your uh, viewpoint? What were you like thinking about graduating?
0: It was hard to remember because I think I was like really excited to graduate, really excited to start working. But then I remember starting working and being like, oh, wait, take me back to school. (laughs) And like, But I remember just being super excited, being like, I'm ready to get out of here. Let's go. And then remembering the first couple weeks of actually being in practice and thinking, I don't actually know what I'm doing at all. I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be yet. Like, take me back so that I can learn some more things.
1: Yeah, like a fish out of water type of scenario. And I don't know, like, I feel like we were slightly different in how we felt about graduation because I know I was also really excited. So maybe I'm forgetting (laughs) what we actually thought about graduating. But I was... I was pretty excited. I was kind of like, "Get me out of here." Was I more reserved? I don't remember. Honestly, it's been a bit of a blur in the last two years. I don't don't know either. But we we both graduated very unceremoniously. Thank you, pandemic. But we we started out in general practice. Haven't really looked back, except for the fact that yeah, within those first six months, you are definitely feeling like a fish out of water, and you're like, "Can I even do this? Did vet school even prepare me for this?" and the truth of the matter is, no, vet school didn't prepare us to really know what we were doing. <laughs> they just gave us the necessary skills and information in order that we needed to su- like succeed and survive. Survive, yeah, not necessarily fully succeed, but definitely survive within our first year of vet school. And I don't know, for you, like, what was the, the first six months? Was that the hardest or what did you feel about those first six months?
0: Yeah, I feel like the first six months was the hardest for me because it was a, you know, I felt like I knew what I was doing. And I mean, I worked in the profession as a technician or as a nurse before I ever went to vet school. So I've been in the profession for a long time. Like I counted the other day, almost 11 years now. And so I felt like I had a really good handle on like what I was dealing with and what it meant to be a doctor because I'd watched so many doctors do it. And then I became one. And I just remember thinking, this is not what everybody makes it look like the pressure of doing stuff right. And like knowing what you're doing. And I just felt really like worried about doing something wrong and having it have like a cause to a pet's life or, you know, a, a worry of doing something wrong. And then the owner has to pay for a second, you know, something or, or whatever, which isn't really the case. Cause usually, you know, if something happens, then you just make up for it and, and you move on. But Yeah, the first six months, it was kind of a little bit debilitating just because I was so worried about knowing what I was doing and being knowledgeable. And the two vets that I work with have been practicing for like 30, 40 years now. It's like they're a little bit older. They make it look easy, uh, don't they? Yeah. And they're so confident, like they don't have to think about it. They're like, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it. And I'm like, "Okay, (laughs) like (laughs) let's do it then, I guess. But. The first six months, I think, was definitely the hardest, but it it did help, I guess, because I was in all curbside when I first started, and it was kind of a bit of a a blessing and a curse that way because, you know, the blessing side of it is people drop their pets off and you get time to figure it out without the owner staring at you and expecting you to know the answer right away, but it was also hard because then I had to really learn how to explain everything over the phone. And so, and there wasn't really a connection between me and the owner. It was just Mm -hmm. like, even still today, sometimes clients come in and I'm like, it's nice to finally meet you in person, (laughs) even though I've spoken to you on the phone 20 times, you know? No, I echo that
1: 100%, and there definitely is, like, there's pros and cons to the fact that we started at curbside. So, like, we finished vet school with the the same amount of skills and information that the previous classes had, but the only difference was that we landed in the middle of a pan- – well, at the rate of the start of the pandemic when things were – a lot of concerns. Everyone was like having a lot of fears, a lot of anxieties. And we had the benefit again, like you said, as people drop their pets off, I could examine them in the room and I could literally just like pop my head out the room and look at the vet who is like down the, down the hall looking at the other um, patients. And be like, Hey, I need help. Can you come look at this with me without any worry about, Oh my gosh, what's the client going to think about me? What are they going to like go through all these processes or I think I'm a good vet or I could just go through and learn my process of how I wanted to be a doctor without that pressure. But the flip side, as you said, was talking on the phone. That was, that was and still is one of the most challenging things I find is trying to connect with a client over the phone have them understand what I'm saying, making sure, because like you don't have that feedback, you don't have the body language feedback like you do in the room to know when you should A, shut up or or when you need to give them space or when you need to uh, re-explain something. Because over the phone, like you don't have many ways to ask, oh, did you understand that? Or do you need clarification? Or what don't you understand? You can ask good questions, but I feel there's a lot more that can be done with the actual like body language in the room, which I love how I can hear your little puppy in the background. He's like, don't forget about me, mom. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. really mad. I couldn't his kennel for this. He was out playing and I just didn't want him to tear stuff apart. So he's... <laughs> no worries.
1: No worries. This is a veterinary podcast, but I just... Yeah. His name... Well, do you want to tell people his name or anything about him? He's he's a really cute dog.
0: Yeah, I just got a a Great Dane puppy. He's like three and a half months, almost four months old. His name's Moose, and he's really cute most of the time. But then sometimes he (laughs) barks and does this, or he really likes to chew on shoes, or his favorite thing. And so I have to like hide everything from him. So. And is it interesting now to be a little bit in the client's shoes
1: because you have the concerns that you would tell your clients yeah. about like in eating things or getting into things or just the growth uh, curve and everything. So, but going back to, yeah, so those first six months, they were definitely the hardest. And once you get to the six
0: month point, did you feel like things got a little bit easier by any means? Yeah. Like I felt more confident in myself and like I could do things and be like, yeah, I know this is what I'm going to do. This is the right choice. This is what, what I want. I mean, I think I struggle from a lot of self-confidence issues anyway. So even now today, like I feel like I ask for help too much sometimes. But if I'm there by myself, like when I'm there on a solo day, I can handle everything just fine, you know. But when people are there, sometimes I lean on them a little bit too much. And I'm like, well, they're here. Let me just double check. Like, mm-hmm. like the other day I had a puppy with a heart murmur and I'm like, oh, let me just double check. Like, I know I hear it, but let me just have somebody else listen. And he's like, why are you doing that? Like, you're fine. The, you're, you're right. It's there. Like, why are you? And so mm-hmm. I think part of that's just my personality, but I definitely felt like six months I wasn't so worried about, Hey, am I doing it right? And am I going to make a, a mistake that, you know, I shouldn't make. And now I'm like fairly confident surgery wise. And, and exam wise, I even remember in surgeries the first six months, I'm like, you know, the week after, I'm like, everybody's gonna be calling back telling me that I like their pet is not peeing because I ligated something I shouldn't have while I was spaying their dog or you know, something that way. And now I'm like, Meh, it's not my fault, you know. Like
1: mm-hmm. we're okay. give
0: yourself a little bit more grace at this point.
1: You're you've acc- accumulated enough errors, but also enough successes and There was something I I was reading recently that um, it was actually an equestrian writer that they were talking about um, self-confidence and kind of a bank that you have for yourself. And every day we make deposits into our self-confidence bank by how we talk to ourselves and by saying, you know what, maybe that didn't turn out well, but you did it. Like, I'm really proud of the work that I did there. Um, Just like little things throughout the day. Because there's going to be times, and as veterinarians, I feel like we do this a lot more than maybe other people, where we have to uh, make withdrawals from that bank. And those are when things don't go well or when we um like for this for this rider when she fell off the horse like that was a withdrawal from her self-confidence bank and it made her more wary about getting back on this particular horse so i feel like the same goes for us and that in those first six months we're gonna have a lot of withdrawals from that self-confidence <laughs> bank uh just because you're new you're still figuring things out going to mess things up on the computer like maybe it's not even a medicine thing it's just like the input of a charge into the computer and then that results in an angry client call or something but equally so as new grads and this is something that i i want to start talking to people about a bit more is how they talk to themselves it plays a, a big role in how they grow as a doctor and how they get like where they are at the end of those six months because i feel that's the first i don't know like flag mark in your career in your first year of medicine is that 6 months and if you get to that 6 months and how do you feel about your job how do you feel about that job satisfaction at that 6 months and that sets you up to how you continue to go for your your next 6 months to get to that one year mark what would you add to that
0: i mean i agree with you i feel like the first 6 months depending on how good or bad it is like i know some of our classmates they had a bad experience you know and I still chat with quite a few people and they're like, this is just not good for me. Like I'm all ready to be done. And I'm like, well, I like I struggled, but I didn't feel like I could walk away. You know, like it wasn't so bad that I'm like, I'm done with the profession. It was, I mean, this is hard. It's difficult. It's different than what I thought and harder in different ways than I thought. But I was ready to kind of take the next step and challenge myself a little bit and move forward because I wanted to be better. And so I think you're right that your first six months kind of sets you up for your next six months. And and you can kind of see, you know, your goals and and goals change because, you know, for the first six months, I was just ready to be like, I just want to be able to do a spay in a timely manner, you know. And then the next six months, it was like, well, now I really want to be able to take this mass off without needing help. And in the next six months, it's like, well, I want to do my first, you know, pyometra surgery or my first whatever Um, cesarean or whatever it may be and things that way and so your goals change and progress based on your experience and you just get more confident in yourself which then makes you happy to move forward you know
2: now just before we get on with the show a quick word from our sponsor which is the thrive community from us here at VedEx. if you're struggling with managing time feeling like you're an imposter or burning out then you need to make a change the good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VETEX community. The Thrive community is a race accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're gonna get back to part two of That Vet Life Podcast. Over to you Mo.
1: And so I guess what I'm also hearing from you is just having goal setting and doing that like intentionally, not just being like, well, I guess maybe I kind of want to do this, but to really sit down with your mentor when you first start and say, all right, this is what we're going to, this is my onboarding process, but where do I want to be in six months and how are we going to double check that I've achieved these things or I've built this type of confidence in six months. And so that when you reach that mark... You can say, "All right, did we accomplish this as a team? Did I? Am I able to do a spay in a timely manner? Am I? Have I done that pyometra surgery? Have I started to become more confident in my mass removals? So that you can all, then set up more intentions, more goals for the next six months. And that's where I feel like having a mentor is really valuable for a lot of people, just because it's not always easy to do on your own. You need to." most of the time you need someone to bounce these ideas off of. So, I mean, even if they don't have a a mentor in their practice, just having friends to be able to talk about cases with and say, hey, this is what I was able to do and have those mini celebrations to be like, hey, I did my first cat spay. Yay. Woo. Like celebrate on that because it's so easy to get bogged down in those negative withdrawals and those negative, um, challenging experiences that knock your confidence and that dog that didn't do well under anesthesia or that surgery or that spay incision that did break down and needed a correction. Having those abilities to set goals and have the celebrate the wins is really important. So that was like the first six months. Is, it's just kind of like surviving, honestly. The first six months is surviving, figuring out the yeah. practice, figuring out the That's culture, so like figuring out maybe kind of what you like to do in practice because. I don't know where a lot of us are type A, not all of us, but a lot of us are type A. And we're like, I want to do all the things, especially when you go into general practice. You're like, I want to be good at this, 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 and this, which you realize you can't be good at everything, but you also realize that maybe you have a little bit more interest in dentistry or a little bit more interest in end of life care or, or the new puppy exams. Like some people hate new puppy exams. But you don't know until you try it. <laughs> so using that yeah. those first six months could be really beneficial for that. But then let's look at those like the next year. So I guess getting us to that year and a half mark. Do you feel like there were any like plateau marks for you or any points that you were like, oh, I'm suddenly not enjoying this near as much as I thought I would?
0: Yeah, I feel like there were certain things that I was like, oh, when this comes in, I want to see it. Like I want to be there. And then it hit a point where I was like, it's not that I don't want to see him anymore, but I just don't need to see them you know like there were certain surgeries and and one of the doctors I work with does a lot of orthopedics and I'm still really interested in that so I try and like get in on those but like other surgeries that he does you know like I saw a couple of nucleations and then I did my first one and then I did another one and then I'm like okay now I don't need to like rush in to watch this surgery you know I'm okay to just let them do their thing and I can manage it on my own because I've done it myself. And with exams too, you know, you say, well, I was really worried and I asked them to check everything and now I'm, I'm good. And I'll like whip through a bunch of exams all by myself. And even if we disagree, because the other day I went and asked, I was like, just give me your opinion on this case. Like, what do you think? And they were like, well, this is what I would do. And I'm like, well, I don't really agree with that. Or it's not that it's bad, but I'm going to go this different direction instead. And just like different medication Mm -hmm. choices, different And I'm like, well, I think this is going to be a little bit better. So I'm going to go this way. Whereas in the first six months, I was like, if you tell me to do that, I'm going to do it the way you tell me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and now I'm more confident to be like, well, I'm going to do it this way. And neither way is wrong. They're just different. Or like the different antibiotics we choose for an anal gland abscess or things, you know, each of the doctors pick something different. And again, none of them are wrong. We just have a, a preference, I think or we've seen that one, we've tried both of them and we feel like one works better over the other personally. And so I finally hit a point and it did happen about, I think, nine months in where I was like, I see your point, but this is how I feel. So I'm going to go this way, which was a turning point for me because, you know, usually your first year, you're just like, nope, I'll just do what my mentor says. And (laughs) like, I'm just going to follow them. And you finally hit a point where you say, no, I can do this on my own. And I know what they're going to tell me, but this is what I want to do. So I'm going to do this instead.
1: I really echo that. And I think it was right about a year, nine months to a year mark, where we've now developed the confidence and the number of experiences. Like we started to really recognize those patterns and we know what's worked well for our patients in the past where like, and then you start to ask just for the sake of asking, even though you're like... I don't think we're going to agree on this, but I want them to, like, it's still valuable to hear another doctor's opinion. And there definitely were cases where, like, my mentor and I, like, clearly disagreed on the treatment plan. And I could tell he was just kind of like, okay, (laughs) kind of like, well, if it messes up, it's on you. And I'm like, that's what I needed you to let me do is let me make the, if I'm going to make the mistake, let me make the mistake. Unless it's yeah. like something like blatantly
0: obvious, like, don't do that. Right. I said my mentor says all the time, he just says caseload is confidence. Oh, and so like good. the more cases you see the um, Yeah, so he just says it all the time. So it's just been rolling in my head ever since I started because he says that and at the beginning, you don't believe him because you're like, I- but I don't know what I'm doing. And then you finally hit a point that you're like, you're right. I've seen enough cases that now I am confident in this and and he's just like, see, caseload is confidence. Thanks.
1: You're right. And you know enough that now you can challenge them on their ideas, not because you're like, well, I'm the new grad and I know everything, or I have the freshest ideas. It's that you you have enough confidence in yourself to say, you know what? No, I'm going to try this. And I actually had to sit down at one point and be like, like, I, I know I, I go to you for a lot of questions, but I kind of need you to back off a smidge and just let me try things. Let me make some mistakes if they're going to be mistakes, but let me try things and really build that confidence. And that was a really big turning point for me. And just being able to have that kind of conversation with your mentor is, is really beneficial. And because it, it, it sets you up for how you're going to work together in the future, because there is a point where you become less of the learning mentee, like I'm just here to like follow in your footsteps and be the baby vet. And you turn into more of like an actual colleague where they'll come to you for more to speak on like a colleague experience level more than anything. And that's a really cool point to turn to, I feel, in a a mentor-mentee relationship because you're still a mentor, still a mentee, like it still works that way because you're not just learning medicine, you're learning like life skills and it works in two-way street type of scenario. But when you're able to talk to them on just a colleague level after spending months of what do I do? What do I do? How do I do this? What about that? <laughs> like it's really cool just to have that transition and the mentor mentee relationship. So that takes us like a year, year and a half. And now here we are at two years out. Now we're the grandparents, if you think about it. We're not new grads. We're not five years graduated to have that. I feel like there's like a distinction level to be like, I survived five years in vet med, med." but uh, we're like in that halfway point. But we can't consider ourselves new anymore by any means. And you and I were having a conversation off a microphone about just like it's different now. We've seen all the the common things in vet med, like the the things that were new and shiny to us. They have a little bit more of a dullness. It's still exciting. We still love what we do, mm-hmm. but we're kind of asking that question. All right. We've been vets for two years. Now what? And it's a different answer for everybody. And I, I did that poll on Instagram recently and I'll pull it up here. And I was asking people, okay, when did you feel like you I don't. I feel like the word plateaued was not the best selection for me. It, like best word use, but I was looking for like, did you feel stuck or did you start to have less job satisfaction? Like, when did that start to happen for people who've been in vet med for the more than three plus years or whatever? And most people, like I asked them, like, did you feel like you went through this? And most people, like it was a ten to one. I don't know who said no, but. Most people are like, yes, I felt like I plateaued somewhere in those first three years. And I asked, okay, like, can you tell me a bit more about when that happened? And most people said it was in that first year or up to the, the second year. And then even more people said it happened multiple times. So it's kind of like you, I wish people could see like the camera, but it'd be like you, Um, like maybe it's Dunning-Kruger. I don't know. That's no Dunning-Kruger is something very different. Oop, scratch that. But you kind of get to a point where you're like, I've learned all the things and you're like, whew. Now what? And then you go something else, go to something else. You're like, all right, I learned that thing. Now what? And so plateauing, it's something that happens to all veterinarians and it can lead to a lot of job dissatisfaction, which is what I asked people. I was like, okay, what did you feel about that? And when you hit those plateaus about how satisfied you are with your job. And again, most people were like, I was less satisfied at being a vet because I plateaued. So The question then is, like, what did you do in those moments? Because this is something that is very defining for everybody and how they focus on it and how they do what they do with it. And some people were joking. They're like, I complained. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's not constructive. So let's try something else. Some people actually switched jobs. They went to something that had a different skill set. So they had to learn something new. And other people said that they, they actually sat down with their bosses or with their mentors and said, hey, I need to do something different. And what that different thing was, maybe that's a vertical move, maybe that's a lateral move. But for you, I mean, if you want to speak on it, like on a personal level, when you felt this kind of plateau, what is your reaction? Like, how would you handle it?
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty individual for everybody. But really, I think, you have to decide what it is that you want. You know, why are you plateauing or what are you plateauing in? And you say, can I challenge myself in a different area within this same job? So if you feel like you've plateaued on exams, like I remember the time where I'm like, okay, I feel really confident about giving vaccines. You know, I'm, it's not that I don't need to do it anymore, but I'm not so worried about a wellness exam and vaccines, you know, but I'm still worried about when a dog comes in with an eye issue, I'm like, well, I don't really understand eyes. So maybe I need to be better about eyes, you know, or surgery wise, I'm like, hey, I really am good at spays and neuters now. I'm really confident in those and I'm fine. But I still like want to cry a little bit every time this giant mass removal comes in, or this laceration comes in, you know, it scares me still. And you say, well, then I want to get better at those. Or hey, I'm not really good at oral hematomas or whatever it may be. And you just say, can I switch my focus a little bit? And I think that's where your goals come in. You say, hey, I feel really good about these things now. I've accomplished these goals. Can I make goals that will then push me and help me to still find satisfaction within like the area of where I am? Or do I need to look elsewhere at a different practice? You know, if you say, hey, I really love internal medicine and I feel like I've reached the peak of what I can reach at this place, maybe you need to go and do a specialty or you know, something in internal medicine that you say, I really found my niche here. And this is what I really like. And so then you're not gonna, like, feel happy, because that's as far as the practice can get you, you know, so it's really kind of individual. But I think just realizing that you can set goals, and you don't have to stay in a place if you feel stuck. But you don't always have to move to a new practice, either you can find other avenues of things to push yourself and move forward. But just like looking at it different. Yeah. Having that, it's okay to pivot
1: and it's okay to pivot within your own practice. And that is like what some people are saying, oh, yeah, I talk to my bosses. I talk to my mentors. And that should kind of be a first step. And hopefully you have that relationship with them that you can come to them and say, you know what, I'm kind of bored with what I'm doing and I don't want to do just this for the next 30 years of my life. So what can we do that is within this practice that's within these means? And if they're not able to provide that, then saying it's okay to go somewhere else. It's okay to make those kind of decisions, but granted they should not be made lightly because we know it's, it's not easy right. to pick up and move. And there's some non-competes, which we can talk about non-competes later. That's a whole other bee sting right there, but. Like it is okay if you're wondering, if you're hitting one of those plateaus and you're wondering what to do, talk to someone within your practice. Figure out what can be done there. Because chances are you have something that you're really excited about and you can maybe flourish that area in the practice. Like maybe they don't do exotics, but you find that you like dealing with the small furries. Maybe you can build out that side of the practice. So a lot of options there. And as you were talking about this, um, there was a book that I was reading and it came to mind and it basically said that like pleasure or satisfaction and things doesn't come from the thing itself per se, but from the act of learning about it. So if you really like wine, this was the example that they gave in the book. If you really like wine, chances are you don't just drink a ton of wine. You want to like learn about the wine. You want to learn about the process, where it's made, how it's made, like all these little subtle nuances. And that is where the excitement for wine or whatever your it is, comes from. It's from the act of learning about it. And I feel that's part of the reason a lot of us go into veterinary medicine is we like the science. We like the why. We like the learning. We like the challenge of um, figuring out the puzzle piece. And when the puzzle's been put together, you're like, all right, I need a new puzzle. And that's okay. And figuring out what it is that you enjoy is half of the challenge. And I guess uh, reading through that post and reading through everyone's responses, a lot of that happens within the first three years of practice. So maybe you go into practice thinking you're going to do one thing and you end up pivoting and doing something else. And that is absolutely okay. And I guess there's a lot of other people that are at that that exact point, kind of like we are, but uh, hopefully this provided a little bit of structure to say, hey, you're not alone in that. That's something that a lot of vets go through and it's going to keep happening throughout our career. And so figuring out how we respond to those situations will be really helpful to continue to allow us to grow and develop and stay excited about vet med. Anything else you would add to that? I would just say
0: that I think it's a good thing when you feel like you've reached a point that you I mean, it's, it's accelerating your learning. It means you've then accomplished something, you've learned something and now you feel confident and now it's time to expand your learning and expand your abilities and you move forward. So I think a lot of people look at it and they say, Oh, I've plateaued. This is horrible. But really I think it's a good thing because it helps you then progress and become better in more ways than one. And that's why I think, I mean, I'm not against internships or, or whatever. And I mean, It works for a lot of people. It's not the way I went. But I feel like general practice is really good if you're not quite sure what you're passionate about, but you know, you're passionate about vet med. And then within those first three years, you say, hey, I really enjoyed doing these things. And now I'm ready to step into, you know, this area specifically, because I realized that I've tried kind of all the things. And it's not that I don't like the other stuff, but I really like this piece. And so then it gives you a little bit more direction.
1: Yeah, figuring out where your passion is and also just... Pushing the boundaries of your comfort zone, like all of these things tie together, and it's not like that's the reason it's called your comfort zone—is it's not fun to leave, but at the same time, that the area of growth can be really exciting and can be provide a lot of satisfaction and job fulfillment um, by pursuing it. So I think that's what we will round out the conversation here. This has been fun because I, I don't get to talk to you all the time, and I know there's so many good nuggets that are stuffed up in your brain. So I was like, this is a person I need to talk to <laughs> when it, about this subject. So Danny, thank you so much for coming on the microphone again and uh, sharing your insight from the last two years. Like, yeah, it's been two years roughly, almost, almost, not quite, but almost uh, since we graduated.
0: Yeah. It's crazy how fast the time goes. And yet sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, it's been like really quick. And other times you're like, it's taken two years, and it feels like it's been ten. You know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> depends on the day, depends on the clients and the patients. But yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride for two years. Here's to many more to come. But uh, hopefully, you guys are. If you want to follow along more, you can follow on Instagram at Dr. Brian McCauley and also through vedX International on Instagram. Um, vedX International is also on TikTok. I am not on TikTok, but they are on TikTok. If you want to follow there, and Danny, is there any place that you want people to follow you or your or
0: anything that you're doing? Yeah, my Instagram, I've not been very good the last two years at posting, I'll be honest, I was so focused on being a vet that I let go of my social media presence quite a (laughs) bit. But uh, adventurous, I'm starting to post more and putting cases up and things and going to start hopefully putting some short clips up too. We'll see. But yep, that's where you can follow me there. That'll be a fun adventure and all of that
1: information will be in the show notes. So um, we're going to go ahead and record that bonus content. We got some good questions that you guys have sent in. So if you want to head over to that, which is only available through the VetEx International community. But until next time, y'all, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the Vedex community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life.